0: Welcome to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, the podcast where we talk about all things related to Christian theology. Welcome back to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, where theology matters. That's right, we're uh, having technology issues tonight. It's, uh, it's late. Well, it's <laughs> <laughs> not that late. It's only seven seven twenty. Okay, it's long. It's been long. It's How's been that? a uh, we've been running a marathon of technical issues. So. Uh, if you've been watching our videos, you saw that our video just popped out and we just discovered it. So we're both kind of agitated about it. Yeah. We're not going to rerecord that. So, no. um, you had a static image for the last 30, 15 minutes of that podcast. So Something like that. So hopefully we don't fall out on this recording either. So, uh, this is, again, we're moving through the doctrines of, uh, sovereign grace we're on unconditional election. I think this will be our last one on unconditional election. It better be. <laughs> I am ready to move on. So we do have some more objections to wrap up and yep. then um we'll be on to irresistible grace. Yeah, I think this is number 14
1: in the Tulip
0: series. 15, I think. And we're only three letters in. Well, we got we've got we already have limited atonement. Right. So L T U. Oh, the, so we have I and P left. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I think P is. Well, I guess it's not. I mean, people make their objections. Yep. So, um, I, I would say most non-Arminian, non-Calvinists still agree with perseverance of the saints. Or once saved, always saved.
1: Yeah, I, I think I'm. I'm guessing that a good bit of our time there will be spent differentiating between the two views that kind of sound alike on paper, but in actuality are not. Right. You're talking about those two views I just Mm -hmm. gave. Yeah. Yeah. uh,
0: Which many people would
1: hear that and say, oh, you just said the same thing twice. Right.
0: And I've used those interchangeably, both with the definition of perseverance of the saints behind it. Right. And And what what I'm saying
1: is whether we get into the semantics and arguing about terms, there are two actual different beliefs about how salvation is maintained. Right. And uh, yeah. I'm guessing that that will be the majority because once you get to the perseverance of the saints after the T U L and I, there's not a whole lot to do.
0: Right. Yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, so these are more objections by the theological program. Um, so the question is why would God make people who he did not elect? probably should have been whom he did not elect, but I I just wrote down what they said. Um, He'd simply be making them to go to hell. This is borderline blasphemy. So he says says that again here. Uh, Well, we just covered that in our last podcast. He makes people who uh, are not going to choose him. By the way, I mean, if you're looking at the grand scheme of things, I mean, I know eternity is a long, 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 long time. So I don't want to minimize how bad hell is, um, but those people are still getting grace. You know, the people who are non-elect and are uh, walking the earth right now—they're—they're they're enjoying things that they're not going to enjoy in hell, and God is giving them time, um, and they're—they're they're not going to have an excuse. Mm-hmm. So, um. I have a question. What is borderline blasphemy? (laughs) Uh, True? Yeah, Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I think we said it before. Orthodoxy is like, it's straight thinking. It's right on. mm -hmm. Heterodoxy is that it's not, it's other. Um, It's not right. Uh, But it's not wrong to a point that it's going to preclude you from salvation. And then blasphemy, as we use it, uh, would be something that you're holding on to that would mean, nah, you can't believe that and still be a believer in Christ. Um, so if you didn't believe Jesus was divine, it would be blasphemy. Right. Yeah.
1: So I've got another one. Okay. And this comes again. Uh, actually, I think the rest of these are all from the Representing Truth Returns that uh, if I remember correctly, he's on YouTube and that's his username. Um This one, he says, God is not a respecter of persons, and he cites Romans 2.11, which says, for God shows no partiality, and Acts 10.34, which says, then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth I perceive that God shows no partiality. But I I really don't understand this objection, because Calvinism explicitly asserts I mean, that the, the whole doctrine of unconditional election is God's not showing partiality based on us. Right. He's not respecting a, a person's, you know. I mean, you go to 1 Corinthians 1, he didn't care
0: how you were born. Right. So you, you don't think that, it, like, all Scottish people God loves and he's going to elect them, but all the Irish people he hates and is going to not elect them? I'm Scotch Irish. So <laughs>
1: So you're I'm in bad one way or the way. other yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um I mean clearly all Americans are elect.
0: Right. I mean we're his nation right now.
1: Correct, yeah, because we have humbled ourselves because <laughs> we are called by his name. Yeah. Um if yeah. you're watching this later, we are filming this in February of twenty nineteen after our nation has done some things that do not honor God in any way and right. Yep. To, to
0: call us his nation is laughable. That, right. that may be blasphemous. <laughs> yeah. And I've, I've asked myself, you know, you know, God continues to have mercy on us despite what we deserve as a nation. And I think about Sodom and Gomorrah and was the, you know, if there's at least 10 righteous people there, I'll spare the city. Was that a, just the a quantity or is that a percentage like, you know, were there, you know, 1,500 people and they needed 10 there? I should have done something. Were there 1,000 people and they needed 10? So, you just need 1,000th of the population to be people who like them, 100th of the population thanks <laughs> Don't do math on the fly, <laughs> <laughs> says the math major. Um, or, you know, in, yeah, I, I don't think his calculus works that way. But I always wondered, you know, he's sparing us for some, some reason, um, but... I think the days are getting darker. I, I think the point there is 10 is a small number. Right. It's a low bar. Yeah. And
1: they didn't meet that low bar. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you. In fact, the, the indication I get is there were one. Lot. Uh, yeah. His wife doesn't make it. Uh, and maybe his daughters were considered righteous. But about the first thing they do is get daddy drunk in a cave. Yeah.
0: And, and sleep with their father. right? Yeah. That was one of our F260 passages. So we're reading that and Jill was actually reading it. I was on travel. Yeah. She's like, okay, so you missed the doozy tonight.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I just wrote uh, that passage out not too long ago. And it's just when I'm doing the writing and I'm actually thinking through these passages a whole lot deeper, some of this narration or the narrative stuff, I'm just kind of like I'm playing the scene in my mind and, I just cannot imagine the mindset of a daughter wanting to sleep with her. I mean, and I, and I realized she was driven by I want to perpetuate. I want to have children. You know, it right. wasn't necessarily a dig daddy, but it, still, yeah. it's it just. It's not a good uh, mental image. No, no. And then uh, the conversation the second night, hey, I did it last night. You know, <laughs> I, I can almost imagine like you better not back out no. now, right? <laughs> I'm not going to be the only one that did this. And well, and it's
0: it, just and their offspring are, are the Ammonites. And the, weren't they the ones that were... And the Moabites. And the Moabites. And they were like chief in the, the Molech worship and stuff. Was that them? I don't know. I know just...
1: that they were thorns in the side of Israel, and they were the right. peoples that God wiped out later on. So it makes you kind of wonder what if they had obeyed
0: or not done that.
1: Right. Like... Would we have ever heard of them, or would they might have had a godly... Would, would Lot have fathered a godly line instead right. of a line of peoples? But yeah. I don't put much stock in what ifs. All right,
0: uh, next objection from, from uh, this guy. The Bible clearly says that God loves all people and wants all people to inherit eternal life. If this is true, then why would he only choose some? Well, the Bible also clearly says that what God wants to bring about, he brings about. Mm -hmm. um, That no one can thwart his purposes. The Bible also says that it's his will that um, we be sexually pure. So, either the Bible is confused and the authors of the Bible is confused or maybe we use the will of God in more than one way. So, this is old ground that we're going to cover again. But, Um, it has to be the case that God wills some things in a different way than he wills other things. Some things he wills in a way that we cannot thwart them. And then some things he wills in a way that we can not without impunity. When we break God's moral law, there are consequences to that. Um, But he's not there securing that for us. Whereas uh, he secures certain things. Um,
1: well and even even there i believe that the two wills of god can from from one particular way of looking at it can be in conflict oh okay i mean the murder of jesus violated the expressed will of god his moral will for how you ought how men are supposed to treat innocent Men mm-hmm. it's not string them up on the cross and execute them right um certainly that would be a i mean that that that's a false religious act it is a blasphemous act to kill god mm-hmm. and I don't take that too
0: literally. We don't have time to kind of unpack that um well, at the very least, he was an innocent man, it was a miscarriage of justice it sure, was wrong
1: yeah. and 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 yet you have Peter saying that's what god willed to happen so Mm -hmm. in that one it's inescapable and i think you know you go to genesis 50 and joseph says the same thing um it certainly wasn't according to what god had revealed it was not his will Mm -hmm. for joseph to be sold into slavery because he didn't deserve to be sold into slavery right and yet at the same time it was his will because he was working at a higher, deeper, whatever kind of level in order to bring about the salvation of the line of Jacob and his family. Yeah. And so they, they, I don't know why this is such a difficult thing. And I don't know why people kind of accuse us of being underhanded or trying to make stuff up. It's explicitly clear, you know, you go to Isaiah and God raises up, I think it's the Assyrians to chastise Israel. And then says, "And I'm going to punish you because I wanted you to do this, but you did it in pride, and so I'm going to punish you for doing what I wanted to do." But you know, right. or he goes to, um, you know, Zechariah, and he's like, "Yeah, I raised up these nations." Uh, And I'm mad at them because they they did what I wanted them to do, but they did too much. I mean, it's just over and over. You see, there's this tension between the revealed moral will of God, which we are to follow and the hidden decreed will of God, which we have. We can't know. Right. Unless unless God reveals it to us. We don't know all of what God's plans are. Right.
0: And then all of that would be good. We could just stop there. Assuming that, they, that the guy who raised this objection was actually exegeting the text correctly, because the text that we actually look at that talks about God wanting all to be to believe, um, the all there sure seems to not be an inclusive all of every single individual. Uh, we've already looked at those passages. We won't go back and look at them, but um,
1: well, it would be the only all in about six verses where all the other alls around it refer to categories or types.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and and so um, here, Isaiah 46. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass I have purposed and I will do it. Now I think there's a context here that is specific to the prophecies that are going on in Isaiah but I also think that's a general principle where God says I mean because there's plenty of other places where there's like is there calamity in a city and the Lord has not done it I mean it just all over scripture, you have God claiming sovereignty for what has happened and what will happen and the purposes in front of and behind all of those things.
0: I agree. Um, so let me just read through the verses that he uses to bolster that God wants everyone to go through. The first one is Second Timothy 2 4. He says, um, I think first 1 it's Timothy right. 2 4. Yeah, I don't think so that was not the right verse. Yeah, so he the NSB says who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. Um, but if you read the, the verses around here, he's talking about prayers and petitions to, to go up on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all good godliness and dignity. This is a good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Um skipping down to verse seven, for this I was appointed a preacher and apostle, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, as a teacher of the gentiles and the faith and truth. Therefore I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Sure seems from the context there he's talking about, hey, even Caesar. As bad as he is, we should pray for him or even some king. Men in all stations of life, we should be praying for because God, he wants all kinds of people to be saved. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean every single individual. Um, Ezekiel eighteen twenty three, And I hope I got this one right because I don't know that we're going to build a fix of first, first Ezekiel, second Ezekiel thing. Mm, second Ezekiel is not in my Bible. <laughs> uh, so uh, Ezekiel eighteen twenty three. Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked? Declares the Lord God. Rather than rather than that he should turn from his ways and live. All right. So I have context. Hello. This passage is talking about civic enforcement of the Mosaic Law. It's not soteriological in nature. You can read above and below, see what's going on there. It, he's not talking about who he's going to save and who he's not going to save. It's just not the context of the passage. Um, and then Second Peter, uh, the verse we already read there. Uh, and I didn't write down the verse. I just wrote it down the book. 3-9, I yeah, think. I think. I think he just refers to the book as a whole. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. He's patient toward you. Which in verse 8 is the beloved,
1: which in verse 1 is the beloved, because the whole letter is written to
0: the church. The church, yeah. The believers in the church. So, yeah. Do you have any more objections on your end?
1: Uh, I've got two more, yeah. So, uh, same guy again. And he objects and says that Calvinism is refuted because in Genesis 1.31, God says that all of creation was very good.
0: Say that again, I'll look get my next verse. Sorry.
1: <laughs> so, the objection is that Calvinism is false because in Genesis 1.31, God says all of creation was very good. It was very good. But that can't be Right if God had created a system where, uh, he had foreordained
0: people to go to hell. Well, yeah. So I, I, my immediate thought on this is one that I have to answer given my particular (laughs) views, but the very good there doesn't necessarily mean that everything is morally perfect or morally fixed to where it just means it's going to bring about God's purposes. Um, and, Adam was, and Eve were very good. They were uh, passe non pecari. It's possible for them to never sin. Well, and at
1: that time, creation was doing what God had created it to
0: do. Right. Exactly what he created it to do. Yeah. So uh, the fact that we, I mean, Romans charges Adam with plunging the human race into death and making us all slaves to sins. That's what the I mean, you could not like that. But begin. What's our What's our you know compass? It's the Bible. It's not our feelings of what should be right and or how you would have done it.
1: Well, and I, it, so I guess this to me feels like one of those objections that when you actually look at it and kind of start picking it apart a little bit, it becomes just as much a thorny problem for an Arminian as it is for a Calvinist. Right. The only person for whom this isn't a problem is the open theist. Right. That God said at that time, everything is good, not knowing what was going to happen. And I think, you know, Orthodox Arminians with us would say that's heresy. The Bible clearly tells us that God has always known what's going to happen. And so whether election is true or not, God knew that there would be fallen angels and fallen humans. And so the objection that God can't say creation is very good if he knows that it's going to not be good at some point in the future, that that objection cuts both
0: ways. Right. And we could ask, why would God create knowing that this would happen? And I've got a very good answer for that question. His glory? Well, maybe. I don't know. Okay. But yeah. I mean, his
1: glory is kind of a cop-out
0: answer. Right, right, right. I'll, right. I'll admit that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. It's it's a catch-all. Like what'd you learn about at church? Well, Jesus. (laughs) Okay. Can you be a little like? Can you narrow it down to a book? (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um. All right. So another objection here. See if this sounds familiar to you. This is what he wrote. This is what he said. How can you be held responsible? Psalm seventy-eight twenty-one shows that God was mad because the Hebrews did not choose His salvation. How can He be mad if they couldn't choose His salvation? Is there injustice on God's part?
1: Why does he still find fault for who can
0: resist his will? Sounds like Paul anticipated this and addressed it, right? Um, When you go to that Psalm 78, uh, 21, let me read it. Therefore, uh, the Lord heard and was full of wrath and a fire was kindled against Jacob and anger also mounted against Israel. I mean, can, can God not be mad at people rejecting something that he's laid out? I mean, that's just ripped from the context. I'm
1: guessing 22.
0: If you read through that, that ends the sentence. Right. Probably is what he intends. Because they did not believe in God and did not trust in his salvation. I mean, we're, this is a, a Psalm, one of those Psalms that kind of gives the narration of the Hebrew children um, the Israelites. Um, so I don't know if we want to... It's talked about Moses striking the rock and the water over, over uh, gushing well, out. I wasn't prepared
1: for this, so you know, take this exegesis with a grain of salt. I certainly haven't labored in this text, but the immediate context following that in verse 23 and following uh, seems to... And by the way, in, at the end of verse 22 in the ESV, it doesn't say salvation, it says saving power. And I'm not sure... If they're really trying to make a difference there or if they're just trying to say this isn't a reference to like eternal salvation, mm-hmm. this is a temporal salvation from Egypt. But, well, it
0: seems to be talking about a bunch of temporal things, water gushing out of the rock. Well, that's what, yeah, you
1: know, he, he rained down manna from heaven, gave them the bread of angels, gave them food, um, Talks about the winds giving them meat. Uh, I mean, all of that Israel mm-hmm. narrative is... God, would you bring us out only to kill us? Mm-hmm. All right, here's some bread. Oh, good. This is great. God, would you bring us out only to kill us? All right, here's some meat. Oh, this is God. Why- I mean, it, it's an amazing cycle of, are you kidding me? I haven't even turned the page, guys. Right. You know, and so I don't know why you would immediately read this and go, aha, this means that they could have chosen and didn't. And God was mad at them because they didn't believe in the Messiah. I mean. It, it just
0: seems to be important a presupposition. I, it, it seems pretty stretchy yeah um i did ha- I did have a thought while we were talking about that you know God had provided you know food for the Israelites and they rejected it, and they wanted something different in that made God mad. Do you think God's mad when we eat refined carbs? No, okay
1: <laughs> maybe when we overeat refined carbs, but um i think I think God's okay with. Pretty much any food that we put into our mouth, I think. Mm. I think the moderation issue is a whole lot more uh, important than the makeup.
0: Okay. What's your last objection? Did you have one more?
1: Um, well, it had to do with First Timothy two four, Second Peter three nine, and then I I threw in for good measure First John two two. But yeah. I think you just we just put it in our, there. Well, you think I hear it enough that this guy didn't throw it in there, but you know why not? Are we gonna? I mean, we already covered all of that. Yeah,
0: some of this is getting redundant too on his part. He says you are held responsible for not believing. No, I mean there are some verses that might tend, you know, you've rejected Jesus, uh, you know, the only you know means of salvation. There are some verses that talk about that, but yeah, you're rejecting your only hope of a cure. But the cure is not, the rejection of the cure is not the cause of the disease. Um, So but that's
1: an important point to stress because on a completely unrelated topic, um, I believe it it was a sermon by J.D. Greer recently. And he was talking about issues of homosexuality and social justice and things like that. And um, he made the statement that, you know, homosexuality doesn't send you to hell not believing in Jesus is what sends you to hell. I'm like, "No, no, no your sin is what sends you to hell." Right. Not believing in Jesus means that you are skipping out on skipping the on the only rescue, rescue from hell, right. but but you you don't go to hell. I mean, rejecting Jesus as the Messiah is also part of your sin, but right. it, that's not the only thing
0: that right. is putting you in hell. And uh, who was that I was talking to? <clears throat> Uh, there was someone who explained. I think it was. Uh, oh, it wasn't one I was talking to. When we were doing the limited atonement, so the the limited atonement people, especially the ones who wanted to, I gotta get this right in the intent, extent, and application. So hopefully I'll remember. Been doing your homework. Hey. Right? hey. Those people who said that it was unlimited in intent and um, extent, but only limited in application, like Tim Barnett, were saying, well. It's there, and then the, now the people who go to hell are going to hell because they've rejected Jesus. They're, they're specifically saying that, hmm. and there are some verses that they, I think, cherry picked to try to prove that. But you know, like Revelation, you know, the the narrative when it says they're actually being judged, they're being judged according to their deeds. Um, um, I think it's Matthew seven. Jesus says they're going to be judged according to their deeds. So, uh, there's a lot of, of that going on. And it seems like Jesus told
1: people they would die in their sins, not necessarily die because of their unbelief. Right. right. Which, again, I mean, the unbelief definitely plays a part in it, but it's not the only part that is played there. Right.
0: All right. So, we got three more. Unconditional election nullifies man's free will. And I put down here, Yes. And I put down no, <laughs> because it depends on which free will you're talking about. If we're, it, it, we're never are we kind of guaranteed this libertarian free will, uh, libertarian free will is um, you freely choose it, but you could have done otherwise. Compatibilistic free will is you freely choose it and you could not have done it otherwise, but you're still freely choosing mm-hmm. um, and not to rehash what we've talked about, uh, you're scholastic philosophers and theologians would have not recognized those categories of all at all. They would say you choose according to your nature. Mm-hmm. And so our nature is to choose evil. We inherited that from our great, 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 great grandfather. Um, and then God, well, are you a younger? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> Cause there wasn't enough greats right. there. Yeah. Well, I believe Adam was relatively recent. That's a, Maybe yeah. we should do a We're deep in there. It. Let's yeah, not get sidetracked. Um, that, yeah, something else. But anyways, no, you, you. so we choose from our nature. God inclines our will, opens our eyes, and we receive and believe. And that's what I believe.
1: I believe that we have a creaturely free will. Mm-hmm. And so unconditional election does not nullify our creaturely. We, we've never had the free will that God has. Right. We are not autonomous. We are not sovereign. We are not the creator. We are not God. We've never had his... Adam didn't have his free will. Adam had an unfallen creaturely free will. We have a fallen creaturely free will. And the Bible's explicit on the limitations of that fallen creaturely free will. And it says that we're at enmity with God. We don't want to be reconciled to God. We don't understand the things of the Spirit. And we do not and cannot please God. We cannot keep His law. And we don't want to.
0: Right. We don't seek Him. I mean... No.
1: It's not a pretty picture about who we are in our natural state.
0: He foreknew those who would choose him. If this isn't true, then I would have to become a Calvinist. That's what he said. Uh, What does foreknow mean? And then the Greek word uh, prognosko know before so the new uh, this came up on theology matters recently today Uh, yeah today yeah i I replied to it um so there are five uses of this word in the new testament um and two of them talk about people not being god for knowing something or knowing something before it happens then three of them actually deal with god's foreknowledge Mm -hmm. and all three of those cases The object of God's foreknowledge is not some event, not some history unfolding. It's the elect. It's people. Um, That's clear. We can be dogmatic about that. What I think is less clear but still true is that the foreknowledge that is here uh, has in mind a knowledge of a person to a person. Um, The Old Testament, all throughout it, would talk about a husband knowing his wife and then... A son was born. How'd that happen? Yeah. <clears throat> different. Another different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the knowledge here, I think, is clear because it's only used this way that the foreknowledge that God has is he foreknows us. And that's what Ephesians says. He knows us before the foundation of the world. He He calls us out. Um if you want a word that means God knows everything that's going to happen, then the better word is omniscience, all knowledge, uh, than this. And so maybe this guy, once he comes to know what foreknowledge means, he will become a Calvinist, as he should, yeah. Uh, do, do you want to add anything to that? Um,
1: it just strikes me that if you look at the golden chain of redemption in Romans 8, um you know it those whom he foreknew he predestined those whom he predestined he called those whom he called he justified those whom he justified he glorified it doesn't make any sense to me to say the starting verb there that in the greek grammar is an active verb a finite active verb that appears to be god doing something that no, that's passive. That's God just taking in knowledge, and then everything else is God acting. Right. It, it just, again, I think that's importing something into the text and just assuming. Well, we know that it has to be this way, so that's what this says.
0: Right. All right. The last objection that I have, and feel free to to text us if you know us, or leave a comment if uh, if you don't know us, um, with your objections. Uh, unconditional election would make evangelism needless. So we kind of dealt with this before I got here. Okay. Even if that's true, how about faithfulness to God's word? God's If God's word says that he draws people to him and that they're not playing a part in whether they get drawn or not, it's God's choice. Well, then that's what we're stuck with. Regardless of the practical output. But God's word also demands that we go out and evangelize. Uh I was thinking about this. I was glad this is I'm glad this is the last elect, uh last objection because we've been talking a lot about the unelect and you know how they're on this course for hell, but we don't know who those people are. God hasn't said this person's elect, this person's unelect. Um and so he commands us to, you know, since he Jesus says since he has all authority, go out into a local area a little further and all the ends of the world, make disciples teaching them to obey and baptizing them. So I think the order is different, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all mm-hmm. that he's commanded. Uh, so again and again, God's sovereign over the ends, what the result and he's sovereign over the means, how he's going to achieve that result. And, um,
1: so. You know what makes evangelism not needless? What's that? God commanding us to do it. <laughs> I mean, I, that that just always strikes me as, well, okay, so I guess marital fidelity, because my sins are forgiven, so marital fidelity, that's just needless. 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 I mean, it. yeah, like you said, um, God ordains the ends as well as the means. And I don't think that if, if we actually think those things through, try applying the same logic, say, to God using Joseph as the means by which he gets uh, Jacob, Israel, and his family down to Egypt in, in, in safety, and which, by the way, is also the means by which Israel goes into captivity that God had foreknown. Right. Because Omnisciently known. No, he foreknew that because <laughs> he said, I'm going to do right. this. I'm just saying yeah, he knew. yeah. No, I'm using it as actually. Right, I know what yeah. you're saying.
0: Um I mean it it just Well the, and what God gets out of that, I mean I think this is what's missed, because while the the iniquity of the Amorites is being filled you know, he's given the Amorites lots of mercy to turn around, and they're not. So, he's like, well, I'm going to wait till it's full, I, something like that. Some The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full, I yeah. think, or not yet complete. Right. He's growing himself a nation that's basically isolated from any other nation, and they get large. Yes, they're clearly influenced by Egypt. Um in a negative way, somewhat, but basically he's allowing them to incubate kind of all but because they're shepherds, and that was you know an abomination to the egypts Egyptians so um, God can bring about good things through these bad things that's 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 his plan um so he bring he now he judges Egypt and he brings uh, this whole new nation out, and they wander in the wilderness and everyone has an adult dies. All the kids grow up a new nation, and they're good, and they're good, yeah,
1: because yeah. the story of judges, <laughs> Joshua and judges, it's success after success. Right. Yeah. not just military, but moral successes, right and left. Right. Oh man, they were killing it. Yeah. but like think about just, just apply the Armenian logic to almost anything. Why did God cause a famine in the land of Canaan that would force Jacob and his family down to Egypt? Because that led to their bondage, Mm -hmm. right? That wasn't human flourishing. Why would he let the Amorites continue to grow in their wickedness until God had to bring his people back in and use them as the tool for wiping them out? I mean, in ways that still make us uncomfortable to read about. I mean, I, I, I think I've got a better theological grasp on it than I used to. And it's still not comfortable to hear about the men, and the women, and the children, and the livestock. You know, I mean, you go to Jonah, and God uses the livestock and says, "I should have compassion on them. How much more should I have compassion on the people?" And you go, "Okay, but God, what about the Amorites?"
0: He's like, "Yeah, no, they had it coming." <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, well, they, it, and they were very wicked people. The Amorites yeah. were practicing all manner of sexual sin. They were killing their children. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, did you say Amorites or Americans? Oh, yeah, maybe it was Americans. Uh, oh. I'm staring exegetically. <laughs> yeah, so we got a, a. but they were wicked people. I mean, uh, not to, uh, there were rules about which animals they could copulate with based on how dangerous those animals were. I don't know if you're aware of that. Had not heard that one. Yeah, so that's how that's so how. Where are snakes on that list? Well, they're, they're not on that list. Oh, Okay. Yeah. So it's super dangerous, right? Right. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't even. <laughs> I don't even know how how that would work. But anyways, um, yeah. So the, the, they're they're horrible horrible people, and God, you know, judges them. But God does what God wants to do, always, and yep. He accomplishes it. Someone said, well, he doesn't do what he wants to do because he can't sin. I'm like, he doesn't want to sin. (laughs) (laughs) Because he's not like us. Right, right. All right, so this wraps up unconditional election unless we are flooded with objections or comments that you need us to address. Unless that happens, next time we're going to move on to irresistible grace because we already already covered limited atonement. Is there anything else you want to cover about limited atonement? I'm good. Okay. Yeah. So, I think you know, Trinitarian harmony and uh, salvation, the atonement, and the atonement is mm-hmm. is a good. It's a good motto. God the Father draws. God the Son paid for, and God the Holy Spirit convicts and regenerates. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, until next time, this was Mike and Mike Theology Plus. I can't do it again. We're just saying where theology matters. Where theology matters. All right. See you next time. You've been listening to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, the podcast where we talk about all things related to Christian theology.